1: Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.
2: Equity
1: I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What well, I learned at 20 is you. Equity.
2: Welcome to another episode of Equity May. It's a podcast where we will help you learn to invest in 20 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going, bro?
0: I'm very good, Bryce. How are you?
2: Mate, can't complain. As always, excited to be here talking all things stocks. We've had a very interesting end to the week for us. Uh, the markets are a bit jittery i'm sure you've got something to say
0: uh yeah so what we're recording this on a friday so where i'm interested to see how the australian market uh performs today but what we've seen is big sell-off in the us and uh on thursday in australia uh, the australian market followed suit probably the highlight is the the big american technology stocks which I think are down about 19% from their June or July high, the, uh, the FANG plus stocks, you know, like Facebook, Apple, Netflix, uh, Google, which is Alphabet, Amazon, all those big names. But then, you know, in Australia, we saw AMP fall like 24% yesterday and the whole market fall a few percent. So a few nervous investors out there probably.
2: Absolutely. Well, the market rebounded in the States a bit last night, the NASDAQ up three and a half percent or thereabouts. So most of what was wiped off yesterday recovered somewhat, thanks to some strong earnings from the likes of Amazon. And it's also worth to note that because of the drop yesterday that we saw on the NASDAQ, which is the uh, stock exchange with, as you said, all the major tech companies, it officially went into a correction, which is where the stock market as a total falls uh, 10% or or greater um, from its latest high, which was uh, August 29. So it hit uh, 10% down, but then obviously, as I just said, it recovered yesterday. So yeah, Ren, agree with you. It'll be interesting to see what happens to the Australian market today. I would imagine we're in for a a, a bit of a rebound as well, because we probably tend to follow what America does in some regards. So let's see what happens.
0: Yeah, definitely. Now, This is our Ask Us Anything episode, and as we do at the end of every month. And before we get on to our listener questions, I want to start by asking you something about that. So, the market fell. uh, What did you do? And if the Australian market continues to fall today, what are you going to do?
2: Great question, Ren. Um...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, mate. I try. No, so yeah, it
2: was an interesting... Uh, it was interesting yesterday and I discussed it with you actually uh, over text because it's been something I've been thinking about a lot, as you know, is what to do with my cash, cash position and what when to enter the market. So yesterday we saw the market come off 10% in total, not only in the NASDAQ, but probably you know it, we've, we saw it in the ASX as well. The ASX is actually now flat. Sorry,
0: sorry just, just to clarify, it didn't come off 10% in one day. No, no, no. Yeah. No, yeah.
2: <laughs> no, no, no. no since it's high in August or whenever it was. Um, So I I did nothing in in terms of cash positions, Um, but if it does go down again today, I am going to implement a strategy that uh, that we were sort of talking about with Chris, which is I'm going to probably invest about 10% of my total pool of money uh, that I have to invest uh, into into an index fund. Uh, I think this, that's that's a strategy that I'm going to uh, deploy from here on in. Is every time the market drops ten, fifteen, twenty percent, I'll invest that amount of my total pool uh, as it goes down, as sort of like a, a way of getting into the market and making sure that yeah, whilst I'm not trying to pick the bottom, I'm at least going in while it, getting in while it's going down. Um, and alternatively to that, uh, I've got the Vanguard that I'm still drip feeding in. Uh, as it goes up on the on the inverse side as well, so nothing direct, but that was my process and thought.
0: Yeah, nice one. I think that's I think that's a great way to approach it. Um, and then the only other thing you, I would say is, if you're not almost fully in cash, like Bryce, the worst thing you can do is panic sell as it falls down. Yeah, absolutely. If you're you're in it now, you have got to ride it out.
2: Yeah, and I mean it's not. The end of the world. It's 10%. And as you said, Ren yesterday to our group of mates, we saw this happen in February and it rebounded to all time highs in the States, especially not so much Australia, but it did rebound in Australia. So look, who knows what's going to happen over the next couple of days, but it's definitely not panic stations yet, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, and I don't want to. I don't want to turn this into a Alec gets on his high horse rant. But okay, all of the news. All all <laughs> no, no. I just gotta say, all of the news reports that talk about the stock market dropping a few percent and then start talking about the JFC. Just stop it. Just, just <laughs> stop it. All right. The the market has been in like a ten year bull run. And it is extremely highly priced. Yeah. That is very different to the GFC where these bloody derivatives tanked these massive investment banks and the global financial system was in a world of hurt. Yeah. You know, we're, I, I, may, maybe there's something I'm not seeing. Maybe that will come. Maybe, you know, some debt bubble will pop. China will pop and the global financial system will face a similar challenge. But the market falling three or 4% in a day is not the same as the GFC. No,
2: no. Anyway, we've got to move on, Ren. We said we'd do a three minute intro and now it's six. So let's. um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. That's my (laughs) fault.
0: Always.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. As you said, this is our Ask Us Anything episode for the month of October. For those of you who have just joined us on the show, welcome. Welcome to the Equity Mates community. Every month we answer everyone's questions the last episode of every month we have an ask us anything forum on our website where you can go on and ask literally anything you want and we will do our best to answer it if we can't answer it we'll get some of the professionals and experts that we've met along the way to answer on our behalf uh, on your behalf or our behalf um and so that's what we're going to do today Ren. so let's kick off we've got a, a number of questions from some listeners to get through so we'll start with one from Charles and it's a very simple one. Hi, guys, just wondering what you have studied since leaving high school, apart from the School of Buffetology. Ren, what have you studied? Okay. <laughs> uh,
0: so we, we met at uni. Um, I studied law and Asia-Pacific studies. Asia-Pacific studies, pretty niche. Not, not sure it's helped me a lot in my day-to-day, but yeah, that's what I studied.
2: And yes, I studied a half a degree in classical percussion performance and then uh, went on to study a full degree of uh, business majoring in economics and marketing uh, and international business. So that's what we did.
0: Yeah. A little bit of a change for you from yeah. uh, percussion to business, but big change.
2: Yeah. Ended yeah. up where I wanted to be, I guess, at the end of the day. So, still miss the drums, but what, what can you Mate, do?
0: Mate, what, what could have been? You could have had a second podcast, like Drummer Boys. <laughs> Drummer Boys. put mates Drummer Boys.
2: <laughs> oh, jeez. That'd be really, really poor, that's for sure. <laughs>
0: yeah. All right. So, on to the second question. Uh, it's a bit of a long one, so we'll just summarise it. A listener, Matthew, and his wife have an emergency fund. They have approximately 20 grand in it at the moment that they're not investing, they're just holding it in cash. And they are asking well, they've proposed putting 5 grand into a high interest saving account and then 15 grand into a fixed income ETF. So it's an ETF that invests in bonds.
1: When you're ready to pop the
2: question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: The question really is, is that a good decision or what what should you do with your emergency fund?
2: So a caveat to this is that we are not providing any sort of advice here. We are not in a position to give financial advice on this sort of stuff, but we have opinions on it.
0: I think this is From our personal experience, this is what we do. This isn't, yeah, advice for what other people should do.
2: Yeah. So I just want to start with every professional that we've invested on this show, whenever it comes to discussing these sorts of things, they always say that an emergency fund should always be in cash and remain in cash. You should never be putting money into the market that you have set aside as an emergency. I guess that's from the mouths of of the experts who deal with this sort of stuff every day and invest into the market every day. And that's generally how I feel about it as well. Whilst, yes, you're probably going to get a better return on it, putting it into something like an ETF. Firstly, uh, past performance is no indication of future performance. So the ETF may have done very well, but you have no idea what's going to happen over the next sort of five years or so. And if you do need to draw on that money quickly and have that money set aside, uh, you, you know, you could be having to withdraw a lot less capital than you initially started with. So I guess that would be my answer in short. It's not com- it's not completely risk-free by doing that, but having it in cash, you know that it's going to be there for an yeah. emergency.
0: Yeah, 100%. You generally want three to nine months of expenses covered by your emergency fund. So if if that 20 grand is more than that, then that you might your emergency fund might be too big but definitely in cash get getting an interest rate that beats inflation because you don't want your emergency fund to be inflated away but yeah I don't invest my emergency fund
2: me either one sitting there in cash do not touch it don't look at it and then when I'm happy with the amount I'll just leave it there
0: yeah yeah because the worst thing that could happen is you know Interest rates are going up, so that means the bond prices are going down as a a general rule. So, the worst thing that happens is your emergency fund is sitting in what you think is safe bonds, but as interest rates keep going up, the price of the bonds keeps going down, and all of a sudden, your emergency fund has lost X percent. Yeah, Um, exactly. So, even though they're relatively safe, every investment, the price moves and there is risk, and it's not worth risking your emergency fund.
2: Alright, next question. I hope that answered your question, Matthew. So now we move on to one from Daniel. He says, I'm starting uh, to invest and have a play. He's got about five grand. Vanguard investments have caught his eye since we've been discussing it on the show. He wants to know whether it's better as a first time investor to invest money in a managed fund through Vanguard, such as the Vanguard Diversified Growth Index Fund, which we've discussed, or to dabble in some of the ETFs that they offer. His sort of goals are he's pretty young, but he wants to pursue growth in order to purchase an investment property a few years down the track. So, Ren.
0: Well, I was going to say, I know how much you love Vanguard index funds, so I'm happy for you to uh, answer this one if you want.
2: Yeah, well, there's another question from Beck that ties nicely into Daniel's, So I thought we'll, we'll just I'll ask that question as well, and we can talk about both at once. So Beck follows on from Daniel's question, and she is saying, if you compare the Vanguard Lifestyle Growth Fund, which has fees of 0.9% per annum, and compare it to the ETF equivalent, which has fees of 0.27% per annum plus brokerage, what are the pros and cons of each? In her mind, it would be better to invest quarterly into an ETF and pay the, the fee for brokerage rather than cut the higher fee in the managed fund. Uh, she would love some tips on the best way on purchasing, purchasing shares to create less headache later on. So there's a number of points to discuss here. Firstly, the difference between the managed fund and the ETF. For those that don't know, the managed fund is off market, and this is not something that you can buy through the Australian Stock Exchange. You need a minimum of $5,000 to enter into it, and you do that through Vanguard. You directly give them the money, and they manage it in the larger pool in whatever index fund or uh, managed fund you choose. In this case, we're discussing the Diversified Growth Index Fund. Alternatively, you can still get access to that fund. It's just done through an ETF, which is done on the Australian Stock Exchange, and you can buy and sell just like you do with any stock on the market. So that comes down to now fees as well as I guess liquidity the diff, one of the major differences is with the ETF as I said you can buy and sell whenever you want you don't have to have a minimum account balance you don't have to start with a, min- a minimum account obviously that's just set by your broker usually $500 whereas with the index managed fund off market you always need to maintain a minimum account balance of $3,000 and a minimum withdrawal or switch value of 1000 And you have to start with $5,000. So it's quite limiting in that sense. If you want to withdraw all of your cash, you, you essentially have to close down the account. You can't keep coming back in and back out. If you want to take all your money out, you then need another 5000 to get back in. So that's some major consideration. I guess in terms of what's better, they both are exactly the same in terms of their underlying uh, assets and exposure to indexes so in my mind it really comes down to the way that you want to invest and what fees you want to pay before we go into the fees Ren I've, I've done some calculations do you have anything to add to that
0: no I think what you have said is great yeah minimum investments fees and then uh the I, I had redemptions but yeah liquidity like how you can take money out and just make, make sure that they are tracking exactly the same index or being invested exactly the same way because there may be some slight differences. But yeah, look, if you've done some calculations, let's crack in.
2: So let's talk about brokerage fees first, ETF versus the fund. So if you're buying the ETF, you have to do it through the stock exchange, and you would do it through any one of your normal brokers. Let's assume we're going through IG, which is the lowest you can sort of pay in terms of brokerage at the moment, which is $8 per trade. Uh, Let's assume that you're investing $500 a quarter, and so you're going to be investing $2,000 over the year, and you're gonna be paying eight times four, which is $32 in brokerage, investing $2,000. If you were to go with the fund, they've got what's called a spread, which is essentially the price you pay for uh, investing, that's the brokerage, and it's 0.11%, so very small. So if you were to invest 500 a quarter, $2,000 a year, At 0.11%, you're going to pay $2.20 in brokerage. So that's $32 to $2.20. So, so far, the fund itself is looking pretty damn good. You then need to consider the performance fees or the fees that they charge for management. So the ETF is 0.27%. Let's say you did have the $5,000 balance and then you invested that $2,000 over Twelve months, so you have an ending balance at the end of the first year of seven thousand dollars. Now at point two seven percent, that's about eighteen dollars ninety. Uh, if you were in the fund, uh, they have a point nine percent on their uh, management fee, or and if you were to have seven thousand dollars at the end, that's sixty three dollars in in fees that you would be paying per annum. So then when you look at ETF fees plus brokerage, you're doing $32 plus $18.90. So you're looking at $50.90. And then if you look at the fund uh, fees plus brokerage, you're looking at $65.20 per annum. So there's a $15 difference between the ETF and the fund. However, I want to note that we did do these calculations with the lowest brokerage in mind, which was $8.00. If you were to sort of look at the average brokerage of $15, your fees for the ETF go from $50 to roughly $78.90. So $78.90 to $65, reasonably comparable, but then you need to think about the compound effect and also take into consideration that as your balance grows for the fund, your price drops in fees. So um, in my mind, I like the way that you can invest into the fund. Yes, the fees are a bit higher, but it's a very personal choice, I think. Do you have anything to add to that, Ren?
0: Yeah, it might be a personal choice, but it's an economically irrational choice. <laughs> um, I, I think uh, higher fixed costs and lower recurring costs is better because, as you said, compounding effect over time. But um, also, you know, the numbers that you used were, um, you know they, know, they came out they came out pretty even, but if rather than doing $2,000 over, you know, split over equally over four purchases, if you'd done, just done $2,000 at the start of the year, the uh, ETF would have come in a lot better. I also think if you're not averaging in every quarter, if you're just buying, you know, once, if you're putting, say, $10,000 in an ETF at the start, in year one, or well, even in this case, year one, the ETF will come out better, but in years two, three, four. 20, 30, 40, the lower per annum rate is going to kill the um, higher per annum rate.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The reason I did this example was because Beck was thinking of saving, uh, buying in quarterly. And I think that's one of the major benefits of the fund, If we're in my mind, is that you can trip feed in at a very low price. But yeah, if you were just to do one $2,000 transaction, um, it's actually ch- still cheaper to do it through the fund. In terms of brokerage, but you're right—the ongoing performance fee uh, for the fund. You need over a hundred thousand dollars in the fund to, for it to equal the the um, 0.27 fee for the ETF. Once it you get that sort of account balance, then you'd definitely be going fund for sure.
0: Uh, yeah, I guess. A- anyway, just anyway. just lo- lower your fees. Just just do get the calculator out if you need to, and just yeah. pay, pay the lowest fees you can. So next question comes from Sasha and she said uh, while looking at ETFs that track indexes, she noticed that the ASX itself is a listed company. If you wanted to track uh, the index, uh, the ASX index, why would you not buy the ASX itself?
2: Good question. I think there's a, a the quick answer to this is that the ASX itself is actually a company. And when you see it on the stock market, ASX code, ASX, you're actually buying into the company that is the stock exchange that hosts all of these companies, 2,500 companies thereabouts. And so you're buying into the, just like any company, into the management, the performance of that company, what they do with their um, capital, etc., etc. So you're not actually buying into the ASX index. You're not buying into any of the companies that is on the stock exchange. You're purely buying the company itself So when you're buying into this, you need to consider things like how many companies are getting listed because that is obviously a positive for the stock exchange. How many are getting delisted? What's the management like, et cetera, et cetera. So if you wanted to buy into the index, you'd need to actually be looking for ETFs or listed investment companies that are specifically doing that. But this is not a way to get access to the ASX. This is actually the Australian stock exchange that is a company in its own right.
0: Yeah, yeah so easy.
2: All right, this next one comes from Pete. Question for the podcast, lads. I invest in three ETFs, but I don't understand what determines the share price of an ETF. One of my ETFs has gone 3% and just unsure how it works. Does that mean people are just trying to sell or majority of the underlying assets are not doing well?
0: So uh, for for this one, I think the, the starting presumption is it's just an ETF that tracks an index. Uh, just just for simplicity's sake. When you think about an index, it's just made up of the underlying stocks, and most indexes are market cap weighted. So what that means is that if the index has 200 individual companies in it, the size of those individual companies will uh, be the percentage that they move the index. So say that all the companies together are worth $100 billion, then the index will be worth $100 billion. If the biggest company in the index is worth $10 billion, then it will will have like a 10% weighting. And then if the smallest company is worth $1 billion, then it will have a 1% weighting. And so then those individual companies every day move in price. And as the $10 billion company moves, it will move the index more than the smaller companies. And then the ETF is just a, a basically a, a wrapper for the underlying index, and so however the index moves, the ETF will move with it. There, yeah, that that I'm not sure if that was a clear explanation, but um, no, that makes sense. ETFs ETFs are a wrapper. Uh, they're a, they're a way that the underlying product is made accessible for us as investors so there you know there are actively managed ETFs and then those ETFs will be priced at the value of the underlying asset so whatever the fund is buying and selling but for most ETFs your normal ETFs are just a wrappers for an index fund and then it's just how the index is priced most indexes are market cap weighted some are equal weighted where regardless of the size of the company, each company moves the index the same amount, whether you're a $10 billion company or a $100 million company. But yeah, for, for most ETFs, they're just um, index funds made accessible via ETFs. Yeah, nice. Cool. All right. Last question. Um, we've gone over 20 minutes, but you know we've got to answer all the questions that we get. Of course. So from Harrison, I'm just starting out and want the cheapest trading platform, so I'm highly considering IG. He's very put off, however, by the $50 quarterly subscription fee, as he doesn't plan on trading more than three times per month. Uh, how do you guys get around this while still trying to adhere to the 1% brokerage fee rule of thumb?
2: Whoa. Wow. So, I mean, when we got this question around our text, I was like, do you know, do you know this is the case? Because... We've obviously been preaching IG for a while now. We both use it. And this was definitely not something that they had when we signed up. Uh, It was just a flat $8 brokerage. And since then, they've snuck in this $50 quarterly subscription fee.
0: To to be clear, they haven't actually gone live with it yet. It goes live in November
2: 2018. So uh, if you're
0: worried that you've been hit by it already, you won't have. They announced it maybe a month or two ago. Uh, But yeah, it doesn't go live until November.
2: So firstly, we will address the 1% brokerage fee rule of thumb. Uh, That's something that you sort of were discussing a a few months ago or thereabouts, Ren, where you try to keep your brokerage as a percentage to less than 1% of your total uh, investing amount. And that is easier easier done, obviously, with the lower brokerage fees. That's why IG... Is, is good and, and why we like it. But yeah, this fifty dollars quarterly subscription, you get it you get charged it if you don't trade more than three times per month. Ah sorry, no, no, per, no, per quarter. Per, quarter, per, per quarter. quarter. So you need to do one trade per month to avoid this fifty dollar subscription. I'm not sure if that includes a sell uh, or if it's just a buy. I'm I'm not sure. Should look into that. But To avoid the $50, yeah, you need to be, I would say, a semi-active trader once a month. I know you trade once a month, Ren, but there's some months that go by that I don't, and there's some months that I guess I would do two trades, uh, but not necessarily always on IG, which is my concern with this. I'm now trading across a number of platforms, so I guess keeping it to the one in this sense would be advantageous.
0: Yeah, so I think there's a pretty simple answer to this one. If if you can if you're going to trade 3 times a quarter and not pay the 50 bucks, then you're fine, stick with IG. If you're not going to and even if you're trading in, you know, five figures, six figures and $50 doesn't seem like a lot to you, it's just an unnecessary expense. There are plenty of other options that are relatively cheap as well. CMC Markets has I think like $6 brokerage Stake uh, takes a commission on the exchange rate, but then doesn't charge you brokerage. the The great thing about the time that we're living in now is that markets have never been more accessible. You know, in America, you get zero dollar brokerage. So, if you're not going to trade more than once a month, more than three times a quarter, why pay the extra fifty bucks? Find find someone who doesn't charge you it.
2: Yeah. Exactly. All right, Ren. Well, let's wrap it up there. I hope we have answered all those questions to the to the best of our ability. I know we have, but I hope uh, our listeners have got something <laughs> out. <laughs> hope our listeners have got something out of it. And if anyone wants to hit us up with a question, you can do so via the Ask Us Anything on our website. Alternatively, you can hit us up via the Contact Us email, Facebook, or Instagram. We'll take note of your questions and, and reply if if we can, and uh, hit hit you up on the last episode in November. Yeah. So, uh, until then, we'll leave it at that.
1: Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial
2: professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation. Hello, mates of Equity Mates. Or oh, I guess that just makes you Equity Mates. Anyway, it's Bryce here. One of the most frequently asked questions we get is, where do we find information about all these stocks and and where's a good place to start? Now, we could do a whole episode on this and we often do touch on it, but the best place to start is by signing up to our ThoughtStarter's weekly email. Each week, we send you some cool stuff that has caught our eye during the week, as well as some more detailed articles on stocks and invested-related content. We also include Basics 101. These are articles tailored specifically for beginners to really propel you on your way. We don't spam you. I mean, we hate spam. It's once a week, and there's enough stuff in there to occupy you for a full day of browsing at work. Now, Ren puts a lot of effort into finding quality articles for you guys, so if anything, just sign up so he feels the love. Head to equitymates.com and chuck in your email at the bottom of the page. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the
1: no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently.